We're going to be looking this morning at Hebrews 11, uh, 24 through 27. I'll read the passage to you first, and then we'll begin to look at it. It says this, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the riches of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I shared in the early service that uh, this, this is a little bit overwhelming to me. This, this is an incredibly rich passage. There, there is so much here. And uh, I'd like to just have a word of prayer before we tackle it together. Father, I, I want to do justice to this passage. Lord, it, 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 it's too meaningful uh, not to. I just pray that you will help me to share it in a way that that speaks to our hearts. I, I pray that you'd give us the ability to see beyond these words that we so often he, have read uh, and understand what's behind them and, and the choices that were actually made here and how powerful these choices are. Father, I, I pray that your word would speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Moses is the next person in this Faith Hall of Fame that we're going through in Hebrews chapter 11. And Moses was quite an individual. The fact is, the book of Deuteronomy ends with this tribute to Moses. It says this, There has never been a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Think about that. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. That's quite a tribute, isn't it? To the Jews, Moses was the greatest man who ever lived. He was Israel's greatest prophet. In fact, We're told that God communicated directly to him. And God even testified regarding this relationship. He says this, he says, If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions and I would speak to them in dreams, but not so with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one that I trust. (laughs) I speak to him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Moses was Israel's greatest deliverer of all time. His amazing feats are recorded for us in the book of Exodus. But ironically, the scriptures also say this about Moses. They say, Moses was very humble more humble than any other person on the face of the earth. Now, usually when we think of greatness, we don't think of humility. In in our world, 
The people who are known for great acts are known because of their self-confidence and pride. I mean, what mega church pastor do you know who is known above all else for his humility? Not too many, right? <laughs> but Moses was more greatly used by God than almost anyone ever, and we're told that he was the humblest man on the face of the earth. What, what Moses is known for more than anything else was not his incredible giftedness or his commanding personality. What he was known for was he trusted in God. He had faith in God. Any of us can qualify there. It was his faith, not his talents, that separated him from other people, made him useful to God, The dictionary defines faith this way. It says, faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. (laughs) And and in that sense, faith is not kind of this virtue where you accomplish faith by doing great acts. It, it, It simply means you cling to and rely on something outside yourself. There there's no merit in that. It's just an expression of dependence, not self accomplishment. Moses is known here as one who relied on God. And God honored him for that. In in this passage, we're we're told four things about Moses' faith. It was evident in his life in a number of different ways. One thing is he refused something because of his faith. He chose something because of his faith. He regarded something a certain way because of his faith. And he left something because of his faith. And so... That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to see how Moses was singled out because of these different things that he did. (laughs) And actually, if you you dig into them a little bit, you'll find out that they are all saying kind of the same thing. There's really one one point here. I could have made my... they're, They're all saying that he put God over earthly treasures over earthly things. He, he valued God more than that. You know, so I could make my four points this. I could say, Moses loved God more. Moses loved God more. Moses loved God more. <laughs> and Moses loved God more. But I thought that'd be a little rep- repetitive, so I thought I'd use the other words there. But really, that's what they're all saying. He, he loved God more than this. He loved God more than that. He loved God more than this. <laughs> he regarded God as being worth more than this. He left this because he loved God more. And and so that's what we're going to talk about. First of all, we're told that Moses refused something because of his love for God. It says in verse 24 that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The first choice Moses made is that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he wanted to identify with the people of God. Now, last week we learned how Pharaoh, fearing the number, the growing number of Israelites in his land, they had settled there at the time of Joseph, and this is several generations later, he was getting threatened by them, and so he decreed that all the Hebrew baby boys should be killed when they were born. And so after Moses was born, Moses' parents hid him in a basket put it in the Nile River, trusting him to the Lord because keeping him at home, he would certainly be killed by Pharaoh's soldiers. And they just released him to the Lord. And we know what God did providentially. uh, His basket was found by Pharaoh's daughter who went down to the river to bathe. 
And she thought, what an incredibly cute little boy. She wanted him. And so she took him home and ra- to raise him as her own son. But she wasn't in a place where she could care for an infant yet. And so they had all these slaves, right? The Israelites. And, and Moses' sister had followed the basket. And she came up to Pharaoh's daughter when she found the baby and says, I know somebody who will take care of this baby for you and kind of nurse this baby and, and provide for this baby. And so it was set up for Moses' mother to take care of Moses as an infant and a young child. And so, really, Moses was a man of two worlds. He was nurtured as a young child by his biological mother. They would have, uh, they, they nurtured young children longer in that time than they do today. And those early years that they, she had him, she would have taught him about his spiritual heritage, about how God had called Abraham and set his people apart to be his own people, a separate people. She told him how though they were slaves in Egypt, a a deliverer was coming who was going to deliver, deliver them from bondage. She would have told him that a Messiah would eventually come through their people. He would be a savior who would bless not only Israel, but the entire world, and that he would set up a reign that would go on forever and ever. And so Moses' early mem- earliest memories would include those kinds of things shared to him by his mother. But also, Moses was trained throughout most of his childhood in the wisdom of Egypt. And Stephen, in his speech in Acts, describes Moses' life this way. He says, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful both in speech and in action. Moses was raised in the palace of the most powerful man in the world. Moses, being a prince of the household of Pharaoh, would have had access to all the wealth and benefits of the Egyptian kingdom. There would be no more prestigious position for a person to have than to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the grandson of Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh was, I think he was the greatest ruler of his time, He was the head of the most sophisticated culture, the most cultured society, the most powerful empire in the world. Moses would have understood the honors of being the prince of Egypt. He would have understood the status, the privileges that came with his position in Pharaoh's household. Life could have been really, really easy for him if he made it all about that. (laughs) He could have just grown up in the royal palace with riches and rank and all kinds of worldly goods. However, that wasn't the life that God had preserved him for, nor was it the life that Moses wanted for himself. He knew of his origins, his background, and his identity, and he had no wish to deny or abandon them, no thought of being ashamed of them. Apparently, Moses' decision to kill an Egyptian was the act that severed his relationship with Pharaoh. This event was described in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, where we're told that when Moses had grown up, 
He went out to visit his own people. So you see he's going back and forth. He's going to visit the people of Israel. It's not like he's totally separated from them. Throughout his life, he's going back and forth between the palace and his people. And this is where he learns all about what the Hebrews are about. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were being forced to work. And during this visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He felt the injustice of it in his heart. And looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. We're told the next day when he went out to visit his people again, so it sounds like it was a fairly regular occurrence, him going back and forth between the palace and his people. That day he saw two Hebrew men fighting. And he says, why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. And, you know, he's sitting there saying, you have enough trouble with Egypt. <laughs> why fight amongst yourself? And this man replied, who, who pointed you to be our priest or judge? Are you going to kill me too like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses was afraid, thinking, everybody knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened And he tried to kill Moses, his grandson. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When he arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. That last phrase, he sat down beside a well. Here's a man who fled for his life from Egypt, went out to the backside of the desert. Where do you go now? What do you do now? And he just sits down beside a well, not knowing what to do. But this happened because he decided to identify with the Hebrew slave. And that showed where his true allegiance was. It was to his people, not the Egyptians. It appears in some way he already sensed he had a role to play. He was put in a position of power. Somehow God must have communicated to him that you're in this position for a reason. I want to use you in some way for your people. And so when he kills the Egyptians, he shows his true colors. It's kind of a watershed moment in his life. It sets things in motion that are going to forever change his life. But the author of Hebrews and the way he talks about it makes it clear it wasn't just a momentary choice to help a man who was in trouble. It was really kind of a conscious decision. A decision to choose a side. The passage says he refused, he chose, he regarded, and these are all really deliberate phrases. They're talking about deliberate choices that he made. First, Moses refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want to be known as her daughter either. He refused indicates, you know, there's a settled persuasion that he was not and would not continue in that role. That means he turned his back on a lifetime in the palace and willingly threw in his lot with a bunch of slaves. To decide... To do something like that, you have to believe that what God has to offer you is better than what the world gives you. You have to operate by faith. Power, prestige, money, fame, all that was Moses' as a prince in Egypt, but he gave it all up for something he couldn't see, 
something he had to believe. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. We hope it's coming. It's being certain of what we do not see. And these things were so real to Moses, he was willing to make those choices. You know, that's an incredible step of faith. Power and fame are very seductive realities. Most people spend their whole life chasing those kind of things. And and if they were making progress, they wouldn't consider leaving the chase for any reason, especially for faith. God isn't that believable to them. They're not convinced that what God has to offer is really better than what this world has to give. No matter what they say, they show by their actions, they think their real rewards are here and now. But Moses isn't in the chase. He already had all the things we crave. And he chose to give it up. He left the palace to partner with the slaves. Why? Because he chose to identify with the slaves because they were God's people. (laughs) And because God had a plan for them, And he knew a little bit about that plan. It was a plan of of, of being a special people, set aside, being given a kingdom, having a Messiah come. Everything is tied up in the Abrahamic covenant. Bottom line is that Moses believed that God was going to reward his people with things that were far greater than what Egypt had to offer. Oh, I wish... We could see life with the clarity of Moses. As a pastor, I watch people all the time putting God on the back burner while they pursue this or that in life. Their lives are consumed with getting this thing or having that thing. They're so busy they don't have time to invest in things that really matter to God. You know, if we could see with clarity what Moses saw, we wouldn't burn ourselves out trying to get this earthly treasure or that earthly treasure would give up anything, anything for God. Moses gave up more than we will ever have. Adrian Rogers put it this way. He says, the treasures of Egypt were incredible. He said, I had the privilege to visit the wonderful museum in in Cairo and see something of the treasures of the pharaohs. It was incredible. Their wealth was incredible. And all this was Moses's. He could have had it all, positions and power and prestige and pleasure. But he said, I found something better. Moses so trusts God that he literally rejects all that and takes on the reproach of his people, the people of God. The disciples at one time said to Jesus, he says, we've forsaken everything to follow you. They left their careers. They left everything to follow Jesus. People, that's a life of faith. You will only give something up if you think that what will replace it is better. You know, maybe one in 20 Christians really believe that what God has to offer them is better than what they can have here and now in this world. And so they keep investing all their energy, all their time, pursuing this or that treasure. (laughs) Faith, on the other hand, is willing to deny itself, deny all that it possesses. It it will break with anything in order to follow God because it perceives of God meaning that much. 
So Moses refused something. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But secondly, he chose something. In refusing that, he chose something else. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Moses uh, here is choosing a course of action that's going to play out a lot different than what Joseph's did. Joseph, if you'll remember, who lived many years before Moses, was also a prince in Egypt. He was second to Pharaoh. And he had huge influence in the kingdom. But Moses, on the other hand, is born into that, and he's leaving that. He's refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's leaving his place in the palace, choosing instead what? To be mistreated along with the people of God. He's choosing suffering (laughs) over then affluence. Who makes a choice like that? (laughs) I mean, why? Why? You know, Moses could have reasoned that if he stayed in his position that he would be in a better place to serve his people. But if he relinquished his place of influence, what good would he be to them then? But the choice he made kind of forced his hand because he chose to identify with his people. And in doing that, he had to forfeit his position of power. When the author of Hebrews says that He chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a time. You know, I ask myself, what pleasures of sin would those be? And of course, being in his position in Pharaoh's household, he could have had anything, done anything he wanted. He could live a totally self-centered life for his own purposes. He could use people in any way he wanted to. I think that's all wrapped up in that he understood the temporary nature of those sins. But... There's another sin, too, that would have been very tempting to him. And that is to disobey his heavenly calling in order to choose an indulgent life of pleasure and affluence. I wonder how many people would make that choice. I wonder how many, quote, followers of Christ would make that choice. We love this world so much, it makes it very hard for us to be followers of God. Next verse tells us why he gave it up. It says Moses regarded something a certain way. He regarded, listen to this, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. The word translated regarded in the NIV is considered in the ESV. It's esteemed in the KJV. It's a word that means to calculate, to evaluate, to to see what has true value, to esteem something above other things. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.8 when he says, I have counted it all lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I've counted it this way. I've calculated it this way. 
It's saying Moses weighed the two things, living for myself, pursuing earthly treasures, living for God's kingdom, suffering for him. He weighed the two things and he said, this weighs more than that. This is more valuable than that. This is far more valuable than that. Disgrace for the sake of Christ is more valuable than the riches of Egypt. Now, imagine you as a lay person looking at a couple pretty stones. There's a couple stones, and you say, oh, those are both really pretty stones, and you're trying to decide which one you want. You don't know a whole lot about stones, so you ask an expert, and the expert looks like you like you're crazy. He says, there's, there's no comparison. This one's a gemstone. That's a common everyday stone. This one's worth a thousand times more than that. Regardless of how they look, they might both be pretty to you. This kind of a stone is the kind you find in those little mountain gift shops that you know they're all polished up and kids buy them for a dollar. <laughs> and this one is worth thousands. That's kind of what's happening here. We're looking at these two things, and, and they're both attractive to us, but one has an incredible value, the other has no value at all. Moses is assessing the two kinds of treasures, eternal treasures with God and temporary earthly treasures, and he concludes that it's far more valuable to invest in what God is doing than just keep pursuing things here on earth for yourself. <laughs> He believed that the treasures he would have in God were far greater than the passing pleasures of sin he would enjoy in his position in Egypt. The pleasures of sin won't last. The treasures of God will go on forever. They're like the difference between a common stone and a valuable gemstone. You know, consider again what he gave up. One, one commentary listed the things he gave up this way. It said, first of all, he left worldly honor and power behind. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it goes on and says this, according to some traditions, Pharaoh had no other sons of his own. And so Moses stood in line to ascend to the throne. He says, that's possible. It's not certain. We don't know for certain that that's true, but there were some traditions that said that. He says, what we do know is that he was, was aligned with the royal house in an age when royalty stood next to divinity. Phenomenal power and exaltation were his if he would retain his position in Pharaoh's house. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Secondly, he turned his back on the pleasures of sin, which are always available to somebody in a high position like that. Especially being part of life in Pharaoh's court. And thirdly, he turned his back on the treasures of Egypt, which we know were vast beyond human reckoning. Now that's, that's a whole lot to give up. <laughs> There must be something incredibly valuable over here if you're giving all that up. And so what did he give it up for? We're told he gave it up for two things. You ready? He gave it up for the privilege of being mistreated with the people of God and to share in the disgrace of Christ. You say, well, I didn't think Christ was around yet. Well, He's looking forward to the coming Messiah just, Messiah, just like we're looking back on him. Christ is a title for the Messiah. 
He knows the Messiah is coming. The people of God, the people of the Messiah, are abused slaves. He would rather share in their disgrace for Christ than have all these other things. That's the choice he made. Pretty easy choice, right? Spurgeon said this of him. He says, Oh, Moses, if you join with Israel, there is no present reward for you. You have nothing to gain, all to lose. If you do that, you must do it out of pure principle, out of love for God, out of full persuasion of the truth, for Israel has no honors or wealth to bestow. You'll receive affliction, and that's all. You'll be called a fool, and people will think they have good reason in doing so. Phillips in the, the Reformed Commentary goes on and says this. He says, but what an incredible advertisement this is for Christianity. Isn't that a declaration of the worth of being identified with Christ. Phillips goes on and says, people will often try to evangelize others with the promise of how wonderful it's going to be when you become a Christian. God's going to do this for you. He's going to do that for you. He's going to give you all these things. He says, but Moses' picture is a truer picture. To be a Christian, you must give up the world and embrace the cross. <laughs> he says, Moses' choice is the choice all of us must make who want to really follow Jesus. The pleasures and treasures of Egypt or the affliction with God's people and the fellowship with the cross of Christ. He says, but our present loss doesn't go uncompensated. It gains for us spiritual peace and untold riches later. Can you delay gratification because this is so real to you that you believe it's actually true? Moses' choice cost him honor with man but brought him honor with God. And as our passage shows, his name is praised forever. One scholar said, you know, whatever Moses' social position would have been if he had remained a member of the Egyptian society, all we would really know of him now was his name was on a mummy in the British Museum. But instead we find his name in God's Hall of Fame. We're still talking about Moses today because of the choice he made not to pursue worldly wealth, but to pursue God. Fourthly, then Moses left. By faith, he left Egypt. <laughs> he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. God was so real to Moses that he could leave Egypt. He saw him who was invisible. <laughs> He forsake all that Egypt had to offer him. You know, it's very likely that if Moses had just told his grandfather, you know, I made a mistake, I acted rashly, I, could have, I shouldn't have killed that man in anger, that he would have been received back to his position in Egypt. Timothy Keller says this, he says, we know enough about those autocratic governments of ancient times to know that if a son or daughter of Pharaoh kills a commoner in a tantrum, and then turns to their father and turns to Pharaoh and says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it. I, w I went too far. That they'd be told, it's not a problem. You just killed a commoner. 
It's all right. He'll be okay. Moses could have done that, but not if he was determined to stay true to his convictions. <laughs> if he continued to make his people a priority and their protection a priority, then he couldn't be accepted by Pharaoh. But instead of betraying his convictions and making amends by faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He chose this way of life. He had a choice to either live out of his principles or deny them and maintain his position in the kingdom. If he lived his convictions, then he would have to flee Pharaoh. And that's no small thing. Pharaoh's the most powerful man on earth. To flee Pharaoh meant he would have to live as a fugitive in the wilderness indefinitely. Keller says Moses could do the wrong thing and be safe or he could do the right thing and face career suicide. To be faithful to his principles meant he would not become a great leader in Egypt and he would have to go into the desert where if he wasn't killed by beasts or thieves, then he would have to live forever as a fugitive always hiding from Pharaoh. He goes on and says, but Moses chose the right thing. He decided to obey, even though it meant the end of his life's career suicide, oblivion. He did it anyway. As far as Moses was concerned, his life was over. Any person looking at him would say, this is crazy. Here's a man who has tremendous leadership skills. His people need him. Look what happened to him. Stuck out in the desert for years and years and years. Now a member of a marginal group of people. His life is over. Everything is in tatters. Keller goes on and says this. He says, there he was in the wilderness in his 40s. He passed on into his 50s. He passed to his 60s. He passed to his 70s. He got to 80. And there he was, a complete has-been, everything's over. He's lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And one day God shows up to him in a burning bush and says, Moses, I got a little job for you to do. I think that's when I would say, I'm retired now, Lord. You had a chance 40 years ago to use me. You chose not to. It's your loss. God says, no, I, just two little things I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to go up to the Pharaoh, the most powerful person around, and I want you to say to him, I'm going to take your entire free labor force from you. I'm going to take all these slaves that are working for you, and I'm just going to take them away from you. Really little job. Just one thing he had to do there. And then the second little thing I want you to do is I want you to lead that group of a couple million people broken by years of slavery, no economic resources, no personal resources. I want you to lead them out even though they're going to be fighting you all the time, complaining to you all the time about what you're making them do. Even though you know the greatest army in the world is going to come after you and chase you down, I want you to do those two little things. And Moses said, sure. I'll be glad to do those. No big deal. And he did him, right? 
You know, I, <laughs> I don't know how to end a message like this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of real faith, right? You think about Moses' life. It started with parents who, who believed in God, and they spared his life, and they nurtured him in his early days. Faith was exhibited in his life when his oppressed people caused him to turn his back on Egypt and join them in their oppression. By faith, he separated from Egypt for 40 years to live in the desert where God would prepare him to be a deliverer. Next week, uh, Chris is going to be sharing and he's going to talk about how by faith Moses obtained the salvation of his people by instituting the Passover. And then we'll see after that how by faith Moses delivered the people of Israel by taking them through the Red Sea. From beginning to end of his life, it was a life of faith. For us, Moses' life is a reminder to guard against worldliness. The world's always drawing us away from Christ. It's always telling us what it has to offer is more valuable than what we'll ever have if we put seek first the kingdom of God. Paul says the opposite. He says, think about things of heaven, not things on earth. For you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you believe that? And whether we're young or old, we can't let the world and its treasures dominate our thinking. You know, sin has pleasures is, goes without saying. Otherwise, it wouldn't be attractive to us. But Moses discovered that the, the pleasures of sin are fleeting. That means they won't last long. They give you a moment's satisfaction, but they leave you empty in the end. The pleasures of sin do not last. And Moses desired the things of God more than the things of the world. And so should we. Our culture is becoming more and more secular even Christians today are selling out to the world. I believe we're coming to a time when it's going to cost us to identify with God. And yet, if Moses is right, it's worth it. I read a devotional by John Piper this week, and in it he said this. He says, where is the person whose heart is so passionately in love with the promised glory of heaven that he feels like an exile and sojourner here on earth. Where is that person today? Where is the person who has tasted of the beauty of the age to come so much that the diamonds of the world look like marbles from the dollar store to him? And the entertainment of the world feels empty. And the moral causes of the world are too small because they have no view of eternity. Where is that person only one thing satisfies the heart whose treasure is in heaven, and that is doing the works of heaven. Moses was a man with that kind of faith. He believed in the promise of God's reward. He lived with the belief in the unseen. And God was not ashamed to be called his God. In fact, God said to Moses, Of all my house, you are the one that I trust. Wouldn't you want God to say that of you? <laughs> it all depends on where we've centered our affections and the riches of Egypt, the pleasures of the world, or the treasures of heaven. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, help us to understand what we have been given in Christ, the treasures that come with identifying with the kingdom, treasures that will last forever in comparison to short-lived earthly treasures. Lord, give us eyes to see and an understanding of what it means to truly put first your kingdom in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.